everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, this morning we are, um, so we kind of jump into the meat. Actually, we just had like, I feel like this is like one of those like Brazilian steakhouses where it's just the meat just keeps coming. You know, you got to flip the coin. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for some more steak. When you, you got any more of those bacon wrapped shrimp back there? Can you bring that up? So we got plenty more, plenty more for you. Some of you just got real hungry. Focus on me before lunch. Don't get distracted. All right. Uh, this morning, we are wrapping up our Keeping It 100 series. Anybody been enjoying the Keeping It 100 series? I know, I, I know Mabel's with me. I know, you know, we got some, you know. And for those of you maybe visiting for the first time, our Keeping It 100 series, the whole premise of it is, you know, to get to the truth. What does God's Word say about some of the most important issues and the things that we face all the time. We can be completely overwhelmed and, and inundated with public opinion and talking heads and the news and social media and all of these different outlets that have their take on the truth but are very much actually lacking the true life-giving power of the Word of God. And so we started out week one by really even identifying what is truth in the first place. Like what is our go-to, what is our GPS to direct us to the truth? And we saw that Jesus made a bold declaration that I am the way, the truth, and the life. His word, his person is the embodiment, is, is truth, and he's provided it to us. He's given us access to his word. We don't even just, you know, some of you might actually have an actual physical Bible, but you have like multiple translations and you can even get like, you know, all kinds of different language and Hebrew commentaries and all these things. We have so much access to God's Word and so we want to go to it. We actually want to crack it open. We don't want it to be like, you know, one, one year... I don't know how many of you remember like the old school, like the infomercials that would come on late at night when you accidentally like passed out and you woke up in the middle of the night and like Ron Popeil was trying to sell a food dehydrator or a rotisserie. And I remember there was one that we got from my dad for Father's Day and that bad boy sat up on a shelf for like years. I actually don't think we ever used the food dehydrator. I just used the dialomatic slicer that came with it because I was working in food service. We don't want this Bible to be like this thing that we think, oh man, yes, that's awesome. I need one of those. And then we just kind of get it and we just put it on the shelf and we actually don't utilize it. God gave us his word so that we could know truth, go to truth, and live out the truth. Amen. Awesome. Then the second week, Micah Davis came and he preached the word. He talked to us about love, that God is love. God has word and instruction and guidance and parameters and borders to his unbelievable and unfathomable love, but it's not left to our own interpretation. He hasn't outsourced the definition of love. He gives it, and it's marked not so much by feelings, but by obedience and sacrifice and surrender. And then last week, we talked about identity and the fact that we are who God says we are, not who we think we are. Why? Because the author has the authority to define. 
And as the scripture tells us, thank you, Josh. Man, I like having you here, man. God, I feel so encouraged this morning. Papa Owens is out of town, so you're filling in right now. I got my amen corner. Anybody else that wants to join that squad, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I welcome you. Uh, but the fact is, is that when it comes to our identity, that God is he who defines us. And it's he who made us that knows exactly not just who you are, but what you are intended to be. And in his patience and his miracle-working power through Jesus, we are immediately, regardless of where we find ourselves, we are immediately put in right standing with him. That means I am whole. I am healed. I am free. And yet, at the same time, he is moving me and be helping me to become more like him. So I am the righteousness of Christ. I am and I am becoming every day until the return of Christ when we walk in the fullness of all that glory. Today, we're going to talk about something that everybody, everybody deals with, everybody knows, everybody's thinking about in various ways and places. Today, we're going to talk about money. See, see, I, I fully expected that. I fully expected that because Money and generosity, you know, I could have just said, I like to say money because that kind of rips the Band-Aid off. When you say generosity, generosity is like almost like the passive-aggressive way of saying money. It's like, I know if I say money, you're going to be like, uh, but if I say generosity, you're like, oh, I'm generous. Like, we just try to, like, spoonful of sugar syndrome, right? You know, help some medicine go down. But I just kind of felt like going for the jugular. We're talking about money, Right? And the reason that we feel weird sometimes talking about money, whether we're talking about it with other people or especially when we talk about it in the church, is it just really gives us a, a clue in at how much and how deep and how easily money becomes a master and how quickly it comes after the things that we care about or that we value or that we put our security in or we put our hope in. And it's important that with as, uh, as significant as money or possessions or currency, the influence that it has on the world around us, the influence that it has on us, of all the things that we ought to know what God says about it, it should be this. Because we're going to operate and we're going to function with it every day. There's certain things, if you work in a business, if you work in a factory, there, you need to know how to use the equipment that you're dealing with on a daily basis to avoid significant injury. And when it comes to our money and our finances, when it comes to our resources, we want to manage it in the way that God says. We want to approach it from His perspective because if we don't, we actually miss out on the real benefits and blessings of his provision that is really far beyond just money. So this morning, we're going to start out, if you've been in church, if you've ever given an offering, you've probably heard this scripture before. We're going to unpack it a little bit today. Start out in Malachi, the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. It's a short little guy. We're going to start in chapter 3. Verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you say, how shall we return? Well, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help me this morning as I speak your word. Help us to receive it. Lord, I pray that you would till the soil of our hearts, that you would uproot every weed, every rock, everything that has choked out this seed. Lord, you'd help us to walk, Lord, not in our own opinions, but Lord, that you would help us to renounce the idol of greed, that you would help us to repent of our idolatry and walk and return to you and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kyle. Now, I grew up a church kid. I grew up in the church. My dad was a worship leader and, a, and at times an associate pastor. My mom was always working in children's ministry, and because I'm one of seven, like, we were a walking children's ministry. Um, and, you know, I, so I have a lot of memories in the church. I, I have lots of very fond memories. Like, I, I, I remember, I don't know how many of you were like, in a church, now we have like in children's church, they have like HD screens where they have these animated lessons. We had the felt board with like the little felt characters and, and you knew like you were an important disciple because only like the important disciples got their own figurine. The others were like in a cluster of five. You're like, man, it's tough times, you know, saying so we got to be economic. Uh, but, you know, I have just lots of fun memories. Um, and one of those uh, memories, you know, whenever my grandmother, sometimes my grandmother, she was a member of, uh, of one church on the east side or on the west side, and then she would attend our church some. And I remember whenever I was in church with my grandmother, there were two things that were always going to be sure. One, she had candy. So I knew if granny was at church, I want to sit next to her because she usually had an hour later. Does anybody remember an hour later's? Uh, you know, it took me a hard, really a hard time to figure out how to pronounce that. I was like, is that nowalators, nowalator, I just want some, granny. Uh, but she would have usually nowalators, or, so I'd get that. And then the second thing was, she was always going to make sure that whoever was with her was going to put something in the offering. And so she would say, you got something to put in the offering? And then she would, you know, hand out these little coins and, you know, pennies and quarters and make sure that we always had something. She said, don't ever come to the house of God empty-handed. And, and, and I didn't realize at the time, but she was helping lay a foundation of generosity and giving. Now, flash forward, you know, when I became a teenager, I started doing some odd jobs. And I remember I did a lot of different odd jobs. I swept 
floors at a pet store. You know, I helped clean uh, different buildings at night and cut grass. You know, we, we had, I actually loved the different changing seasons because whatever season it was, that was what our hustle was. So during the summertime, we were cutting grass. During the fall, we were raking leaves. During the wintertime, we were shoveling the slow, snow. So that's, that's just how it was. So we, we always wanted to have money. But I remember when I was about 14, 15 years old, I got my work permit and I started working at Johnny Rockets at the Circle Center Mall. Now, Circle Center Mall had just, hadn't been open that long at this time. And, uh, and so I'm working, I'm making my little money now for a 14 or 15-year-old who isn't paying any bills of his own to get a job where you're making tips. Like, I thought I was Scrooge McDuck, y'all. Like, I would get home. I didn't have a bank account at the time. I had a Quaker Oats box with multiple... Um, uh, multiple little baggies that I would put my little, my dollars and my, my ones, my fives, my tens, my twenties. I mean, I, I, I was literally like dreaming. I'd sit here at my desk and my siblings would try to come in the room like, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, and you know, we had seven kids. That's a lot of kids. So like there were certain things that I just knew if I want them, I got to get them myself. Like one of those things was like a haircut. If y'all have seen us back in the day, God help us. Because Papa Jay, Papa John would cut our hair and we looked like Gumby, but like the bad imitation, like generic Gumby. Like not even the real Gumby, just like the gumbo. Like, and, and I remember one day when, when he said, I mean, he said, if you don't like your hair, you go get your own money and you pay for your own haircut. I remember all of us like, wait, what, what? That's all? That's all we got to do is make our own money? Oh, bet. I'm cutting grass. And I never looked back. I'll never forget that. But, but we, you know, we work, you know, and we, and, we, and we hustle. So here I was. And so I, I'd gone there. It was a finish line at the Circle Center Mall. And I saw this really, really, like, brand new. And anything brand new back then was, like, a huge thing. Because usually we were, like, at Goodwill before, like, Goodwill became, like, this chic thing to do or whatever before the hipsters took it over. And... Um, I'm not mad at you, you know what I'm saying? I'm just mad you just gouge the prices of Goodwill. Uh, but we would shop at Goodwill. We shop at Payless. Usually, especially for my siblings, like everything they got was a hand-me-down. So if I'm looking at something like brand new, I, it was a big deal. So I, not just brand new, but brand new and not bootleg, okay? Because that was a whole other thing. <laughs> so there was this amazing, like, killer-looking tracksuit at Finish Line. And I knew exactly how much it cost. And I was like, you know what? I'm just balling. I might even buy some shoes to go with it. Like, I was just feeling myself. So literally, after I'd come home from that shift, I'd come home from the bus stop, and I'd just get in my room, and I'd shut my door, and I'd lock everybody out, and I'm just cutting, count, counting my monies. And I, you'd have thought I was like Gollum in there talking about my precious. You know, I'm just counting my dollars and imagining my tracksuit. I'm going to look so fresh walking up to Heritage Christian School. And I, like, I was going there in eighth grade. And, and I, just, I, I was just thinking about all the, you know, my outfit. And this is my money and my, 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 my. And then we had to go to church one Sunday. And his pastor started talking about tithing. Now, mind you, it was a lot easier to give my, my grandmother's coins than actually give my tithe. And all of a sudden, I remember as a grown, as grown as I thought I was as a teenager, this whole giving thing really started to challenge me. Now, that was as a 15-year-old with no bills, no internet, no cell phone, no electricity. I didn't have to worry about the electricity. I just turned on the lights, and then it happened. 
right? That's what you do as a kid. You just take things for granted. And I remember how hard it was because I realized if I actually pay a tithe of this, I'm going to have to wait to get this tracksuit. I'm actually going to have to like, how about I just get the suit and see how much I have left afterwards and then I'll give that to you, Lord. It's going to be more than a couple quarters. But I realized that this was the first time where I was recognizing that I had an issue. And the issue was because I had a hard time giving because I forgot who was the actual provider. I forgot who was the source and supplier and owner of all that I've received. And if you think it's hard for a 15-year-old, when you're grown, have other mouths to feed, have insurance, other bills, how much harder is it to truly surrender and give according to God's Word? It's so quiet. I love it. It is. It is. But I believe the reason it is so hard for us, we put up lots of fleeces. We say we can come up even like, you know, we, we throw out reasons. I can't trust the church. He's probably just getting fancy, driving fancy cars. Have you seen our van? It's not very fancy. I'm just letting you know. There's Cheerios in it. It comes with a meal. It comes with a snack. Might even get a little Fruit Loop in the back somewhere, you know, stepping it up. It'll be the generic fruit loops that come in the back. <laughs> but we come up with reasons why I, I can't trust the pastor. I can't trust the church. They're just after my money. Or we say, oh, it's just the law. It's the law. Now, I just, it, we're, we're going to deal with that. But I would just like to say, just because something was given as a statute in the Old Testament doesn't mean that when Jesus came, like, all of a sudden, like, adultery is a bad thing. Right? It's not like when Jesus came, like, oh, boom, we swing in. <laughs> right? Like, we're not under the law, but I'm still sure, like, you're pretty glad that, like, stealing's not a great thing. Probably shouldn't steal, probably shouldn't murder. There are certain biblical principles that are sustained. But the point is, we put up these fleeces, and we put up these things. Why? Because we've forgotten who our source and supplier is. So I want to talk about that, because really... That's what Malachi was dealing with here. So here in the book of Malachi, Malachi, this prophet, he's speaking to a people who have come out of Babylonian captivity. So this is post, whenever you hear um, a phrase that's sometimes used, whether in commentaries or within theological language, you'll hear post-exilic, pre-exilic. What that means is post-exile. So the people of God were exiled in the Babylonian captivity. They were in a foreign land with foreign gods, and they were a really an oppressed people. We see in the book of Daniel is, is, is a book where we're looking at how do the people of God function and honor God in a foreign land. So when we get to the book of Malachi, Malachi is speaking to the people of God almost 100 years after the, the papers had been signed to make a declaration that the people of God were now released from their captivity of Babylonian captivity, and now they were released to return back home. But there was a difference now because they had become so saturated by the cultural gods of Babylon 
They become so used to hiding out and oppressing and, and suppressing their beliefs and their values. I mean, many of them at times when you read the book of Daniel, you see that there were decrees put out to throw and to imprison and to persecute people that were found openly praying to God, to Yahweh. Or people were oppressed for, for honoring and choosing not to bow down to foreign gods. And so people kind of got used to the syncretism, blending in the lifestyles of these other foreign entities and deities and, and drifting away from a true walk in the presence of God. And so when we look at this church or this remnant that's come out of captivity and is now trying to figure out how now do we live, the temple that we see and the people that we see post-exile is very different than what we saw before under the, under the King David and the line of King David. You see, when you read and even other writings, Persian writings during this time about the temple and about the people of God post-exile, one of the things that is often absent absent is any sense of the actual manifest presence of God dwelling in the temple. Things had become distilled to just a bunch. It was just like religious activity. We show up. It was, the heart was kind of disengaged. It was just like uh, going through these uh, just practices, these dogmatic practices, but it wasn't really about engaging and, and connecting with and honoring and loving a true living and an all-powerful and an all-loving God. And so God sent these prophets, these messengers of his. In fact, Malachi means the messenger. He sent these messengers to come and to call people to a return to covenantal fidelity. Now, sometimes when we think of covenant, we think of law. And so when we think of covenant, we think of this hard, rigid thing that is an oppressive thing. Covenant is a commitment, but covenant is actually life-giving. Like, I don't know about you, I'm thankful that God made a promise to not destroy the earth in a flood. That's a covenant I agree with. Okay, it'll just be me. Just be me. <laughs> Chilling. Dry. Right? No, there's covenants. The marriage covenant, yes, we know there's sacrifice involved. God has demonstrated that. But there's blessing. There's a blessing, blessing that comes and is activated through covenant. So God is calling them to once again, don't just go through the motions. Let's actually get to the heart of this thing. And I want you to walk in full surrender, in full obedience. And so one of the things that God is fully aware of is how much our money and our resources are attached to our allegiance. And so when he's speaking to them and he charges them, I think it's amazing, not surprising, but amazing that this is one of the areas that he comes at is he's calling them to return. Is he's calling them to not just come back to the, to the geographical location of northern Israel, but he's calling them to himself, to holistic surrender. When it comes to our resources, when it comes to our money, one of the things that we have to understand, and it's a, a clutch revelation, if we don't get this, everything else won't work. We have to know this one thing. All that we have, our money, our breath, our life, everything that we have, belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Say that. It all belongs to God. Just say it again. It all belongs to God. 
I know, it hurts sometimes. Like, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's like when I try to get my kids to say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, especially Ella. Ella's got a strong will, and we'd be like, Ella, can you say yes, sir? And she's like, Ella, do we need switches? Yes, sir. Squeeze it out. It all belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. We are not the provider. We are not the originator of our provision. Yes, you work hard. Yes, you you go and you put in the hours and you put in, hopefully you're putting in, you're, you're working with all excellence. And I know we got some people, it's like you're working those late shifts and you're up early and you got 16-hour, 12-hour shifts. So you go, I made this money. But who gave you the breath in your lungs? Who gave you the strength in your legs and your arms and allows your heart to continue beating? I know like... Sometimes we don't think about this, but I just think whenever I wake up in the morning, I recognize, you know what? Not everybody did. And I didn't select that. You know, there wasn't like a setting, like I turned myself off snooze setting so I could wake up. No, God gave me breath. And he gives strength and breath to those whom he knows will curse him throughout the day. He is the originator of everything that we have. And so that means if I say it all belongs to him, that doesn't mean just 25 minutes of singing on Sunday. That doesn't just mean an hour and 15 minutes, maybe at a city group if I happen to go this week. That means everything. That means all my relationships. That means my family, my marriage. This gal I'm hollering at, not me, but you if you're hollering at a gal and you're not married. It's just not your wife. But it's our relationships. It's everything. It's our money. It's the money that we spend on whatever we spend. It's all his. We talk about lordship. You've heard me say this before. Worship is a posture of submission. And we don't just worship with music. A lifestyle of worship means everything I have. I submit to you. I surrender to you. Now, one of the powerful things, one of the beautiful things about giving is giving. We've often, if you know, and the scripture says of all the things that we are not to test the Lord in, he actually challenges us to test him when it comes to finances and his trustworthiness as a provider. But I actually think in addition to that, our finances and the way in which we walk and walk in obedience when it comes to the word of God, it's actually more of a test for us than it is for God. Because anybody can say, I love you for a minimal cost. But when it actually requires us to count the cost, when it actually messes with our vacation plans, when it messes with our cable subscription or our extracurricular activities, or when it messes with things that like matter, like retirement, when it cuts us deep, that's when the test really comes of how much are we truly submitted wholeheartedly to the Lord. Y'all with me this morning? I don't say this lightly. 
We have to understand it all belongs to God. And I want you to, in, in the time that we have, I want to hit on a couple principles. You'll hear me talk about this more over time, not because, you know, it's not about being greedy. It's about wanting to steward what God has given and wanting to walk in freedom. So a concept and one thing that we hear and we talk about is the tithe. Everybody say tithe. I want to talk about this because a tithe is something I think that we, we have to understand what that means and understand where that is coming from, not only historically but from a spiritual standpoint. So tithe practically means a tenth. And it's not just any tenth. You know, if you had $10, 10 $1 bills and you laid them across, it wouldn't just be one of those tenths. The tithe, when we give the tithe to the Lord, it is our first and our best. Everybody say first and best. First and best. So the tithe is not, okay, I lay out 10 $1 bills, and then I'm going to set this aside for this bill, this aside for this bill, this aside for this bill. Oh, there's a new movie coming out. I'm going to go see that. So say, And then you kind of get to the end. I'm like, okay, if I got that dollar left, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. But sometimes we don't. So we're like, okay, grace, 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 grace. No. The tithe. Yeah, I've done that song before. Just saying. Grace, grace, grace. The tithe is the first and best. Everything that I have belongs to him. And what he calls of us and what he asks of us is an act of worship. Not as an obligation to the law, as a demonstration of honor and surrender is for the first fruits. So that means before the bills, I give you my first and best. And now I get to steward and allow you to multiply the rest. It's saying, God, you are worthy, not based on what I may or may not bring in this week or this month. Not based on what bills may show up. But I honor you. You are faithful and I trust you. I'm not just going to sing it. I actually go put my money where my mouth is. Now, when we look at this principle in Exodus, we see this particularly when it comes in Exodus chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there. In Exodus 13, beginning in, we'll begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. The firstborn, it belongs to him. Then he goes on, if we read verse 12, it says, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall be, shall redeem, you shall redeem with the lamb, or you will not redeem it, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. So what is this saying? Is that there was a principle that was set into place, is that the firstborn was the Lord's portion. So back then, many times, livestock, farmers, agriculturalists, this was your resources. These were the first fruits. This was the bounty. So when you would have increase, like an animal would reproduce, the firstborn would be, that is the Lord's portion. You didn't know how many lambs that that sheep was going to produce, but the first one belonged to the Lord. 
the only way that the first was not sacrificed to the Lord as an offering was if the first was blemished. And then if the offering of the firstborn was blemished, then it needed to be redeemed by the offering of an unblemished lamb. So the first fruits and the firstborn was either used as a sacrifice or to be redeemed. It was a principle that was set in place, not just as a result of the law. Whenever we see this tithe represented, particularly in the first foundations of it, whether it was before Melchizedek or was it before uh, God himself, it was an act of honor and recognition of God and unto God in response. And so particularly when we talk about the Old Testament and the Passover, When God told them that when the Passover was coming, I want you to take the blood of an animal and you're going to take it and you're going to smear it on the doorpost and on the lentil. When when I pass over the firstborn who have been covered by the blood will walk in life and be redeemed. It was a principle that he was setting in place. The first fruits We see this concept of the first fruits, not just the firstborn, but the first fruits. He's saying, give this unto me, the first fruits of our increase. It's not just what's left over. I don't know if you guys have this. I've got a little change jar, kind of like at the end of the day. I put my change, whatever change I got throughout the day, I put that in the change jar. And that usually comes in real handy at the end of the month. I go to the coin star. But a lot of times what we'll do is we come at God like that. Is we spend money on all the things that we need or we want or we want to do. And it might be great stuff. But then we just kind of give God whatever leftover change we have. It's not our first fruits. It's our leftovers. It's not our first and our best. And when we choose and when we make a decision to wait till the end or whatever's left over. What we are saying is, God, I really don't fully trust you with my money. I need to manage this, and I just need you to trust me. I need you to trust me, God, because I know I need these things, and I need to do these things, and I know your word might say this, but I can't trust you like that right now. It costs me too much. That's really, we cut through all of the stuff. What we're saying is, I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of my bills. And I don't know if honoring you in this way is going to do that. I know it stings, y'all. Can I tell you how many times Kelly and I, with as many mouths as we had to feed, have sat down and looked at that tithe check and thought about the groceries that we could purchase, the medical bills that we did not foresee, have just thought about just like the babysitters we could hire so we go on another day night. It's real. It's so, it, it would be so easy. I mean, Kelly, literally, I remember one, one, one day, like, specifically, she had got an opportunity to go minister somewhere, and she got a check from that, and I got, we got some extra song royalties, and, like, we were feeling, like, amazing. 
And, you know, you start spending the money like, like I did when I was a kid and 14. I'm like, I'm going to get that tracksuit. You know, now I'm like, I'm grown. So I have like grown folk visions. And I'm like, I might get that new TV or, you know, <laughs> even, even more grown folk. Like, we might be able to put more in our 401k. Praise God. I remember Kelly saying, man, if we didn't tithe, can you imagine what we could put that in? And it wasn't like she were, we were wavering. You got to recognize, and like, it really is a trust journey. It, it, it really does challenge you. It forces you to give God our best and our first forces us to truly count the cost. But if we understand that it's not ours in the beginning, it actually takes this money, this sacrifice, this thing, and transitions it from being some, some that we begrudgingly push to the Lord and actually allows it to become an offering of thanksgiving for the fact that he is the provider in the first place. Why? Because it all comes from him. Everything we have, it's his. So the fact that he gives us anything should blow our minds. Y'all hear me this morning. I know this could be heavy stuff. That's okay. That's okay because God wants you to walk in freedom. See, we can receive this kind of a word. And we can, as Proverbs 3 talks about, honor God with our resources. Because God does not call us to do something that he has not done himself. You see, we were the blemished firstborn. Adam, when he came on the scene as a result of sin, we were all stained and marked. And God could have just let us stay that way. But because he loved us, he sent Jesus as the perfect and unblemished lamb. See, Jesus was our tithe. Jesus gave 100% of himself. Jesus, the best and the firstborn of the dead, as the scripture says, so that we could be fully redeemed and so that we could have the opportunity not just to walk with him and walk in his abundance, but that we would be conduits to his abundance in the, in the nations. That's what Malachi is calling them to. Malachi is not calling them, hey, y'all, bring your money. Remember, that's what we're supposed to do. He's saying, I hope you guys haven't forgotten. We are a covenantal people. We are a people that God designated to be the conduits of his blessing in the earth and in the nations. Not just to be concerned about, now how am I going to find a place to live now that I've come out of exile? This wasn't just about giving God change or giving God tip, like when you go to the well coffee shop and you've got a little tip jar and you say, oh, let me help you get some extra gas money. This is saying you are the God that delivered us. You are the God that came when we could not save ourselves. You are the God that provided for us when we were nothing. So it's nothing for me to give you the first fruits when you've given me every fruit I have. It's an amazing act of worship. 
smile calling back up. Now here's something I understand. It's an amazing act of worship. It is a beautiful gift that God actually gives us an opportunity to align our hearts. We talk about, I love the song, Hope's Anthem. My hope is in you. I am anchored, never shaken. Scripture talks about where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And there's something about money, whatever we place it in or whatever we tend to allow to be the Lord of our finances tends to be the thing that is anchoring us. When we give, when we commit our first and our best to the Lord, it anchors us to depend on Him for our resources, to depend on Him for our sustenance in a way that nothing else does. If it's not an anchor in Him, it becomes a, a, a chain, a ball and chain that keeps us tethered to these things that we mentally tell ourselves, ah, I just can't, you know, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. See, the, the, beauty, the thing about giving and generosity is like, it's not just about the tithe. The tithe is a tenth, the first and the best. Jesus actually took it a step further. He said, everything belongs to me. They start talking about taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar, give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. He was referring to the money. See, back then, the image on the coin was whatever Caesar was in power. So the thing that bears Caesar's image, give it to him. Whatever bears my image, you give it to me. You and I, made in the image of God, called to give him our all. And I know that's challenging. Like, for real challenging. Like, I understand that to count the cost and to walk this truth out literally costs something. I understand that. I understand that it would actually require some pretty intense conversations. I understand that it would require thinking through maybe what we're not going to do. I also guarantee you that if you will honor God in this way, he will bless you far beyond finances. When I tell you, Kelly and I have seen God move in some absolutely miraculous ways throughout our lives. But when I think about the walk that we've had to, that we've journeyed on even in this last two years of planning a church, the financial cost of moving a family, it was so funny. I had a discussion with one parent who was a well-meaning parent of somebody who was coming with us, and we're sitting at coffee at Starbucks, and they asked me, so what is, what is going to be their relocation package? And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, sir. What is my relocation package? <laughs> like, I don't got one. But yet God has provided every step of the way. We moved into our house the very first day. The AC was, went out, died. In 24 hours, God provided. An anonymous giver paid for it to be replaced. I remember there was one month in particular where we were looking at the amount of our overages for our bills that month. And it was really, I mean, I just the pressure. 
And sure enough, we received a check from somebody that said, God just told me to give this amount. It was exactly what we needed to pay all of our offers. We hadn't talked to them about it. What was amazing is that very person, they themselves were actually in the midst of believing God for a huge provision. And not that you necessarily give, like, because you're just expecting some monetary return, but not only did they bless us, but God actually extravagantly blessed them far beyond anything that they would imagine. As Josh said earlier today, God has a great track record. He is so good. We sing that song, Good, Good Father. A good, good father, one of the things that marks a good father is providing for his children. And so I want to challenge you. One, if you are currently, you're giving, you're tithing, you're giving to the Lord, not just in tithes but in offerings, and that's something that God has given you a conviction of, I just want to encourage you and cheer you on. Don't give up. Don't give up. It is a foundational teaching. And not only don't give up, but pass it on to your children. Help establish that principle when they're just trying to sort through their allowance money. Because it's a lot easier to lay that foundation of giving to the Lord when you're just sorting out allowance money than when you're getting your sales force check. Or wherever place you work. I'm not just calling out sales force employees. God bless you. You know what I'm saying? You get your Kroger check, whatever. Lay that foundation now. If you're not currently sowing into the Lord and, and, and tithing and tithes and offerings and walking in this alignment, don't just tell yourself, well, I could never do that. You know what? God's worthy of more than that. He's worthy of more than complacency. Sit down. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. Come before the Lord and begin to actually put together a plan. Maybe it's something that you're going to build towards over time. Some of it, you might just have to rip the Band-Aid off. I remember Victoria and Jordan Smith, they gave a testimony up here, and Victoria said, you know what, we just, we just had to go for it. And Jordan was like, oh, wait, we're tithing now? <laughs> you might just have to rip the Band-Aid off and just go all in. But you will not be disappointed. I've, I, I can't remember meeting somebody who has consistently honored the Lord in this way with their finances that has regretted it. That has said, man, I really wish I wasn't a tither. I haven't met that person. And yet most people that aren't, what I always hear is, I can't afford to do it. And we never have enough. And we become the sole responsible person for our giving, for our resources. Let's worship the Lord in this way. At this time, we're going to take up the tithes and offering today. And uh, the ushers are going to come forward. We've got three ways that you can give. You can give cash or check. We've got offering envelopes. Make it out to City of Lights. You can also give online, cityoflights.church. Go to the giving tab, or you can text any amount to 84321. And I know that 
anytime you talk about money or you talk about identity, you talk about sexuality, anything you talk about, something that really is connected to who we are, sometimes it can be a sobering or tough conversation. I will say this. Anybody, anybody that wants to talk to me about this topic, you want to talk and discuss what I've said, let's talk. My email is john, J-O-N, at cityoflights.church. My number is 317-719-0530, and we will look at this Bible together. I'm committed to this truth, even when it cuts me, and it cuts me. And I want us to be a people that honor God and give everything to Him that He is worthy of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a good giver. Lord, that you are the giver of good gifts. Lord, that you bless us far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Lord, that you are gracious and that you never let us down. Your word tells us that we can put our hope in you. And those who put their hope in you will not be put to shame. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would give us the grace, that you'd give us the courage not to give out of obligation, not to give out of shame, not to give, Lord, out of any negative coercion, but Lord, there would be a revelation of your truth that would stir us to give out of worship and surrender and trust. Help us, God, to untether ourselves from the God of self Lord, help us to repent of maybe saying that we trust you, but functioning and operating and budgeting otherwise. Lord, I pray that there would be no condemnation but revelation of your goodness and that we would give joyfully, cheerfully, expectantly, Lord, that you're going to receive it and multiply it, Lord. And even if it never benefits us, that, Lord, that, the re that just the fact that you continue to bless us, Lord, is more than we could ever ask for. And I thank you that you gave your first and your best. We give our first and our best to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and